Welcome to the Online for Authors podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Palmer. Today's guest shares that at least a dozen years of his life were spent in the speaking industry, at the back of the room and behind the scenes, a fulfillment partner for speakers, authors, and information marketers. This allowed him to see what they did and what they didn't do so well. And he's sharing some of the biggest mistakes and the greatest triumphs he's seen speakers and authors make in order to help others avoid those mistakes and achieve greater success. Brett Ridgway is a 25-year veteran of the speaking industry, bringing unique perspectives with regards to handling the back of the room sales table at like 150 plus conferences, providing fulfillment services for some of the biggest names in the industry and speaking on many stages himself. He's the author of seven books focused on speakers, authors, information marketers, and event promoters, and is a frequent guest on virtual summits, podcasts, and at in-person events. Hello there. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Very good. I'm in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Where are you? I'm in Terre Haute, Indiana. Where? <laughs> Terre, Terre Haute. Terre Haute. So you know, you know where Indiana is. Yep. Okay, you know where Indianapolis is. Sort of. Yeah, only because of the speedway. <laughs> yeah, well, it's right in the center of the state, basically. So I'm oh. I'm about seventy miles west southwest of Indianapolis, almost on the Illinois border. Ah, uh, well, thank you for that geography lesson. I'm sorry oh, I wasn't. <laughs> Three and a half, four hours south of Chicago, almost directly south of Chicago, honestly. Wow. Uh, so is it a small town or a big town or? 60,000. 60, yeah. Mean, so not giant, giant, but not teeny tiny. Enough to keep you busy. Enough to keep you busy or get you in trouble, one or the other. <laughs> Have you always uh, been there? Moved here in the third grade, went away to college, took a kind of a scenic tour for college, went to several you know, different schools. But ended up back in Terre Haute, so it is home. Yeah, you have family there, I'm guessing. You know, my father still lives in town. Most of my the rest of my family's moved over to Avon, which is just outside of Indianapolis. So they're about an hour away. So still nice and close. Yeah, I mean, in the scheme of things, you know, I have a couple grandkids now. They're all both within a couple hours. So oh, that's nice. I'm I'm I've been told that's better than parenting. <laughs> Yeah, both have both are great. So you know, yeah. how can you go wrong with, with kids or grandkids, right? We have to have one to have the other. So <laughs> this is true. And you know. I have a daughter that still lives in town too. So, but most most of them are over there by Indy. The last time you and I spoke, you were in the middle of making some shifts and some changes, and you didn't really have a strong call to action. You were kind of talking about just trying to figure out where you were going to go next you've likely done a lot more in that regard since well the code action is certainly more in the speaking arena now than the the book publishing arena so i understand most of your career though you were were you touring you're on the road doing pretty much the speaker you know center. i actually got my start you know back in the mid 90s i actually put up the first portal website in the plant engineering and maintenance industry so i was selling back in those days I'm going to date myself here, Jennifer. You know, VHS tapes and books and manuals and all that aimed at plant engineers and maintenance mechanics and hydraulic technicians and that type of crowd. So I was selling a lot of product online. And then around the same time frame, I had a joint venture with a guy named Carl Galetti, where I took his old classic marketing book catalog and put it online back in the mid-90s. And because of that joint venture, when... Carl decided to do his first internet marketing super conference back in 1999. He called me up and asked me if I would handle the back sales table for him. 
Well, I honestly didn't even know what backroom sales meant, but I had not been to Las Vegas before, so it sounded good to me. I said, sure, what the heck, I'll do that. And so that kind of led to a side business where I would provide the crew, and more importantly, importantly in many cases, the merchant account that could handle a large sum of money in a short period of time and handle all the sales in the back of the room at these conferences. So there were multiple speaker events, and everybody would you know, offer their continuing ed or whatever. So we'd handle all the money. So we'd be talking to, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of three days or whatever. And we'd pay the speakers and we'd pay their promoter their cut. And then we'd take a cut of the promoter's share for managing that back of the room. Well, as a result, I got to know a lot of the speakers in the Internet and information marketing spaces, you know, 20 years ago very well. And when they found out that I was doing product fulfillment for my own websites, they asked me if I would take over some fulfillment for them. And I'd been thinking about it for a while because it was kind of a natural outgrowth of all the people I had gotten to know in the industry. And so in 2003, I formed a company called Speaker Fulfillment Services with another guy that handles product duplication and fulfillment for speakers, authors, and information marketers. And so between handling the back of the room at about 150 different events and being the fulfillment partner for these guys, seeing how they handle their product launches and all that stuff behind the scenes, you know, I kind of had a unique perspective on the industry. I've probably seen, you know, 2,000 different speakers in person over the last 20 years. Yeah, I bet. And I've seen what they do well, and I'll see Jennifer what they suck at. Well, at something. We're not all great at everything. Well, <laughs> this is true, and it's certainly true of me. Uh, but, I, you know, again, I had the unique perspective, and so I, I have seen a lot. Now, I was always happy being, honestly, the back of the room guy for a long time. I mean, that was kind of my shtick or whatever. And I'm, I'm a fairly naturally introverted person, but uh, eventually I did get up the gumption. All right, Brett, you need to get up in front of the room yourself and share some of what you've learned along the way. It's about 10 or 12 years ago, I did start speaking at various conferences like Author 101 University and Author U, you know, Judith Bryles events and all that stuff. So I got more comfortable with that. But about, oh gosh, six months ago, decided to formally part ways with the fulfillment company that I founded. So all the speaking I did in the past was honestly on behalf of the company. I was never branding myself. Mm -hmm. So it was, you know, share some content. And I was always a content buffer speaker between all the people who were pitching, continuing to edit the events. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I did a lot of speaking in that arena. But again, about six months ago, I parted ways with the fulfillment company and decided that, all right, it was time to brand Brett Ridgway for the first time and not just do everything under the auspices of the company. Right. My focus these days is on the speaking industry and sharing what I've learned along the way of mistakes you don't want to make as a speaker. What are the pieces you need to put in place to succeed as a speaker? And so my latest book, How to Build a Profitable Speaking Business, is all designed as a lead generation product for that particular, you know, coaching consulting type business. Although, in fact, all the books I've written are in, in the speaking, book publishing, information marketing, event promotion type world. So they, you know, call it the expert space or whatever you will. But, uh, you know, that, that's kind of the, the industry I've come out of. And so at age 64, honestly, I'm, I'm reinventing myself and, you know, and Brandon Brett Ridgway. So good for you. At what point along the way did you decide that you wanted to write a book? You know, my first book actually came out in about, about 15 years ago. And it was called View from the Back, which was all about the little things that can trip you up on your bathroom sales at an event. And so it was just a, a series of little tips or whatever, like 101 tips or whatever, and an event promoter. And that came directly out of my experience managing the back sales table at events. There and would be then, a lot of it. I'm sure you could have wrote a few volumes. <laughs> versus, you know. 
Definitely could have. And then the second book, Jennifer, was on mistakes that information marketers make. So, you know, handling the fulfillment for hundreds of different people. You know, a lot of the big names in the industry, I know, you know, I know them personally and, and have done work for them and all that. So, again, a unique perspective, handling fulfillment for these guys. What are they doing well? What are they not doing well? And then I had a, a colleague who wanted to write a book about website mistakes, and I agreed to co-author that with him because – he was, he was the technical content man, but he was not the writer whatsoever. So I, I, I was the writer part of that. And then that led to a book called Mistakes Authors Make, where, again, I was speaking at these Author 101 University events and Author U events and all that about, you know, mistakes that authors make. And there's a lot of them, obviously. And then I co-authored a book with a couple other ladies on called the ABCs of Speaking and I don't even remember what else I wrote, you know. <laughs> well, there's a myriad of features behind you, but I guess uh, with regards to the mistakes authors make, uh, let's talk about that one for a little bit because, I mean, are we talking about fiction authors, nonfiction authors? Or are we talking about authors that are speakers specifically? Like, what kind of author does this book speak to? Yeah, certainly the book is going to best speak to the nonfiction author, a person who has expertise they feel like they want to share with the world. Certain aspects of it certainly will apply to a fiction author, but not not as much certainly as a nonfiction author. Okay. Uh, you know, if you're writing a book, typically it's going to be as a hopefully a lead generation device to whatever higher end ticket, you know, products or services you may offer in most cases. Or an introduction to who you are so that you can build credibility. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you're like a lot of people, Jennifer, you know, I like to maybe do a little bit of reading before bed or I go into a bookstore and I go into the marketing book section or whatever. And if I pick up a book off the shelf and I see that that first chapter is 20 or 25 pages, it's like, oh, my God, it's too much work to even finish a chapter. So I'm not going to buy that book, probably. So most people, most authors don't give any thought to the consumability of their book, honestly. How are you going to lay out your book into bite-sized chunks? So that people want to, you know, people want to feel success. They want to feel a sense of accomplishment. They want to knock out those chapters. So if you make it really hard to get through a chapter because, yeah, hey, I don't want to read another chapter. It's too long or whatever. Then, then you're shooting yourself in the foot. I think about it, actually, it's a fiction author. I, have you ever read any James Patterson? Yes. He's yeah. a, so, I mean, his chapters, two or three pages, man. So it's like, all right, well, I can read another chapter. I can read another chapter. Next thing you know, you read fifty or hundred pages and, and consumed the book. So most people think about, don't think about putting the book together in a way that will increase that consumability because the chances of them coming to you for another type of product or service that, that you may offer is going to go way, way down if you can't even get them to get through your book. So yeah. think about what you're going to do in that book to make it more readable, make it more consumable. I mean, if you're dealing with a baby boomer audience, you know, people my age, well, don't be using, you know, nine point font or whatever like that. You know, what are you going to do to break apart your paragraphs? You know, I need these to read. <laughs> Please don't make it worse for me. <laughs> so, I mean, can you include call-outs or pull quotes or Johnson boxes or, you know, grab, or something to give the eye a break so that, again, the book's more consumable? You know, I think a paragraph should be no longer than four or five lines, and then you got to break before another paragraph. I mean, you just okay. got to think about those things that, Make people want to get through your book. Now, now, granted, you need to have an interesting story and the content needs to be great. But there are a few other tricks you can put into play there to make your book more user friendly that will help you in the long run. So, you know, consumability is one of the things I think 
most authors don't even give a single thought to, but it can drastically impact their results, especially if they're trying to use that book as a lead generation device and get people into other products and services that they may have. Yeah. It's like a speaker that forgets to take a breath. Well, I had that issue every once in a while. Keep on going. <laughs> so you just gave me a whole bunch of information, and then you're on the next topic. But just a minute. I'm still trying to grasp what you just said. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of pause. So, another thing I think most authors don't give thought to is, you know, let's talk about Amazon for a minute, Jennifer. Oh, so, yeah. you know, we, we, sh we ship a lot of things to Amazon on behalf of authors and all that. Mm -hmm. But if you have any kind of platform whatsoever, you are, in my opinion, crazy to drive people to Amazon to buy your book. If you're at a speaking engagement or whatever, and you say, well, go buy my book on Amazon, you're nuts. Because, number one, it's Amazon's customer, not yours. I mean, they don't pick up the phone and say, hey, Brett, you know, Frank Jones bought your book. Here's his address and information. You know, go follow up with him or whatever. So you don't know who bought your book on Amazon. No idea. No. Number two Amazon takes their 45 or 55% or whatever. So you make a lot less money per book sold than if you have the ability to drive them to your own site to purchase your book. I'm on so many different platforms that Amazon, they might be big in the delivery end, especially from the print on demand scene, but there's other print on demand options now. And yep. it's not just print, there's digital, there's audio, there's so many different ways. But for a long time, especially for indie publishers, people who self-publish, it was the go-to for ease and simplicity, mm -hmm. but they weren't necessarily doing anything more than just publishing a book. They weren't building a platform yep. around it. Exactly. Yeah. And, and number three with Amazon is if you are a coach or a consultant or whatever, and that book is a lead generation device for you, well, if you're selling the book yourself off your own website, then you have the ability to insert a flyer or some other materials into that shipment that might direct them to other things that you have to offer. And you don't have that ability with Amazon. So, I mean, should you sell on Amazon? Of course, they're the 800 pound gorilla. They're where most people are going to look to buy books. But if you're out of speaking engagement, you know, offer author signed copies on your own website. And then you have the ability to, again, capture that buyer's information, include other things in the outgoing shipment. And know who that contact is so that you can follow up market to them other things that you may have. So yeah. build a relationship. Without a <laughs> doubt. So yeah. 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 Like anything, Amazon's got its pros and its cons, but uh you you just can't say, Well, I'm only gonna stay on Amazon because it's not the way to go. It's the epitome of a tr transactional relationship or a transaction yeah. versus a relationship. Let's put it that way. And yeah, I don't get me wrong. The shipments come in here from Amazon on the regular because oh, it's cheaper than me stepping on the gas pedal. Yep. Convenience. I don't mm -hmm. have, it takes me an hour to go to the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> what I need is so when I sit here and it gets delivered, I mean, I mean, I have my love hate relationship. Now, I thought Calgary was a big city. How's it take an hour to get to the grocery store? It's not getting there. It's doing it. It's <laughs> you get there, and then you're there, and then you wait, and you know, and then you got to get back. Then you got to unpack. It's yeah. just, nah. I hear you. You're organized enough to go. <laughs> you don't just get up and walk out the door to go to the grocery store. You know, it's just, it doesn't happen. I don't like shopping. Can you tell? <laughs> 
Sorry. Having my bit of a vent there. I hate shopping. <laughs> Christmas Boy. is like, I have to go to a mall. I better know exactly what I want and exactly where I can go to get it. And you know what? If I can order it and just pick it up, all the better. There you go. Yeah. So times have changed a lot for sure. With, I mean, without a doubt. I don't spend half a day on a Saturday in a mall, which used to be actually a hobby of a lot of people. You know, mm -hmm. that would be you spend half your weekend. So in the I'm mall. guessing you're I'm guessing you're not you're not into Black Friday sales and getting up at five in the morning to beat the crowd. No, no, <laughs> not at all. If I need it that bad, I can pay for it. <laughs> like I don't I'm not as materialistic maybe either. I you know I don't need to have every hot deal. Yeah, yeah. You know, so consumerism is huge. This episode is sponsored by Visibility Podcasts. Connect with Visibility Pod about visibility strategy coaching, podcast tours, podcast production, platform building, content creation, and distribution. Your online presence matters. Mention this author interview to receive a discount. Get the help you need today. Email visibilitypodcasts at gmail.com. That's V-I-S-I-B-I-L-I-T-Y-P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S -I 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 at gmail.com. Now, something I'd like to touch on, Jennifer, and I, this applies equally to fiction authors as well as nonfiction, and that is most authors do not start the marketing of their book soon enough. They think, I'm, oh. going, to get a, I'm going to get it written, and then I'm going to start marketing, and they need to be doing things to build that potential reader list months or a year in advance of when that book's going to come out. Totally. I mean, if, if you're a nonfiction author, you, you need to have that website up and you need to be offering valuable content, teasers, whatever, you know, call it a lead magnet, call it an ethical bribe or whatever, to get them on your list, keep feeding them, nurturing them or whatever, so that you have that stream of ready buyers so when that book is actually released, you can either send them to your website or send them to Amazon or whatever you want to get that book, but you're building up that anticipation throughout and keeping them excited. I mean, maybe you're releasing a few chapters in advance as teasers or whatever. Same thing applies to the fiction author. I mean, you can release some snippets or whatever in advance to put up that anticipation. And, you know, people ask me, well, what can I do as a fiction author? Because I'm not really trying to direct them to a back-end product or service. Well, that's a little short-sighted in your thinking. I mean, you need to be thinking of, you know, at least a three-book series if you're doing a fiction author. So each book, should, you know, should be a, a lead mechanism for the other books. And then you need to be thinking about things like, you know, merchandise or whatever. I mean, if you have a, a sci-fi series or whatever that the character or something people are going to get into, well, maybe they'd like a T-shirt or a mug or, or some merchandise related to your right. book. So there are some things you can sell beside the book that can, you know, further monetize your, your book writing efforts. Yeah. Um, Those are fantastic for fiction authors for trade shows, too. Like you've actually I don't know if you realize, but I have a platform called Promote Before You Publish, whereas we talk about exactly that. Yeah. Actually promoting yourself, building your personal brand. Uh, we talk about through visibility pod and creating a visibility strategy. So you've touched on several things. I'm very on board, very a hundred percent with you on and the authors, just because you have a fiction book doesn't mean you don't need a personal brand. Oh, without a doubt. Right. I mean, so. you know, one of the things I talk about frequently, nonfiction authors, but fiction authors also need to have bounce backs in their book. So what are you going to do in that book itself? to drive them to your website, to get on your list. So that then when you come out with that next book, again, you can tell people ahead of time and build up some anticipation. 
So, I mean, a nonfiction author it might be a, an ethical bribe, like a, you know, a video or you know, an audio special report or something. A fiction author it might be an interview of the author or something that they can opt into, listen to your backstory and how you decided to write the book and how you developed your characters yeah, and all yeah. that. So you got you got to be doing those marketing efforts way in advance of any release, fiction or nonfiction. Well, when you build a fiction book or any character for, in any book for that matter, there's the backstory on the character mm -hmm. that's not necessarily written into the book. And yep. those are great prequels. They're mm -hmm. great giveaways. They're like, by the way, did you know this character when they were 10 had this happened to them? How does that affect the story? Well, you know, and, and it's easy to spin off of stuff like that and, and engage yeah an audience yeah mm -hmm. yeah very good are you on stage are you in the back of the room somewhere <laughs> i'm speaking on the nonfiction writers conference summit though i'm speaking at that virtual summit for nonfiction writers and i'm speaking at a live event called heroes rising apex out on long island in july mm -hmm. and then i actually have my own podcast spotlight on speaking so i regularly interview speakers about their speaking journey what are their tips for success? What are some mistakes maybe that they made along the way that they would advise others not to make? And then I'm just releasing a new episode once a week, you know, to help the aspiring speaker get to that next level, whatever it may be for them. You're on this side of the fence as well. <laughs> You're on well, both. You do what I do, guesting and hosting. <laughs> I, I will be on the other side of the fence at three o'clock recording another interview for my show this afternoon. So Wonderful. Yeah. So the last time I spoke to you, you did not have a podcast yet. How have you found the podcasting journey? Yeah, very interesting. It's great. I, because I know a lot of people in the industry, I was able to reach out to people I already knew to get things, you know, launched. But I still didn't know a lot of their backstories and all that. So it, it's fascinating to hear their backstories and how they got into it and all. And, you know, really dig into, okay, I want three concrete tips for success that are going to help somebody coming up in this industry get ahead faster. And then, you know, bury your soul a little bit here with me and share some mistakes that you made along the way that you advise others not to make. And we've all made them, Jennifer. I mean, mm -hmm. I remember one time I was scheduled actually to be a guest on a radio show on a Sunday afternoon. Mm -hmm. Got home from church, got busy in the yard, forgot all about it, man. I felt, I felt about this high, you know, and I, yeah. I did my best to make amends and all that, but I beat myself up for weeks over that one. So yeah. we've all we've all done it, right? Yeah. Well, and I'm sure it's not the only one, you know, because <laughs> you know you don't get you don't get to 64 without some uh, challenges, for sure. Without a doubt. Yeah. So with regards to podcasting, I got into it in about 2019, and uh, I actually started interviewing authors then and added the podcast platform after actually doing interviews with authors for probably about a year. Mm -hmm. and I went, well, this is another way to add to the platform, right? Another way to increase visibility and reach and right. another way to create content and market on behalf of those that I interview. So do you do your own editing? Do you do your own content clips for social? Do you do your own podcast production? Or have you found people to help you with that? I, I paid somebody to get the podcast set up initially for me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, setting up all the syndication, recording the uh, intro, the outro, the commercial that goes into each episode and all that. That was a few thousand dollar investment up front to get that all in place and start the process. 
Now, now, now I do actually do my own editing. I, it takes me about two hours per episode between recording it, editing it, putting it out there when I'm ready to release an episode on all that. So it's, it's about two hours per episode in the mix. And at some point in time, I'll probably outsource that, but I wanted to fully understand the process initially mm-hmm. and then, you know, use that as a tool to learn and then we'll go from there. So, but right now it's, it's me, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm the same right now. I'm doing all of my own and I actually put, I created visibility pod to actually organize it all because there's five podcasts, including visibility pod. I'm not making track of all that. Well, there's only one that gets a regular, uh, regular weekly and that's online for authors because there's just only so much. And I've looked at the delegating end Mm -hmm. of things and found that, you know, I just, uh, I'm very particular about how I want things to go out and Mm -hmm. how I want things to feel. And if like, for example, when I go to edit here, if there's any editing really to do, I want to be the one to choose what comes out. Right. You know? And so I have a really hard time with the delegating part. I thought seriously about it, but that was going to be like another $500 a month to pay somebody else to do that. It's like, well, you know, Brett, you can probably learn to do this yourself and, and, you know, save that money right now. Again, maybe over time, but it'll go out. Now, I just, you mentioned the snippets, Jennifer, and I just started doing snippets within the last week. So, you know, I've just been releasing a new episode and say, hey, listen to this week's episode. But now I've started going into each one. Let me pull out one, you know, 60 second, 90 second sound bite. And I'll post that on social media instead as a teaser. You know, maybe they'll watch that. Then they'll want to come and listen to the whole interview. So we'll see how that works. I mean, it's all a learning experience. Are you uploading them on your website and doing blog posts with them? Yeah. 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 See, and keywords and all the, all making sure that you've got all the the hashtags and the keywords attached. You know, I could probably improve on my hashtags and keywords a bit, but yeah, yeah, I'm posting them up on my own site and they're going they're going up on YouTube and I'm, you know, uploading them to S3 as a backup and, you know, cover my butt. So, yeah, yeah. I, have a, I, I have a YouTube channel for all the episodes. So For sure. Yeah. It's specifically under the podcast name or your name. Yeah. 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 Spotlight on speaking. So yeah. the main website personally is brettridgeway.com. Okay. And so that's Brett with one T and Ridgeway without an E. And I have no middle name. So it's a, as minimal as it can get, man. There's no extreme <laughs> characters there whatsoever. Uh, and you can find all the books that we may have mentioned on, on, the, on my personal site. And then the site for the podcast is called SpotlightOnSpeaking.com. I tend to focus on the whole consumability issue as the main thing because I think it's what most authors don't give any thought to whatsoever. So many people are just happy to get the book done and not really think about how they can best use it as a tool for whatever else it is they have to offer. You know, take that to heart. The whole, the whole business, Jennifer, is about relationships and networking and the people you know and the people that know you. You've got to be seen. If you're wanting to be seen, you've got to be seen by getting on networking events. I don't know. Are you familiar with uh, Speakers Playhouse at all? And, yeah. you know, JV Jams and Event Raptor has a networking event. I mean, there's a lot of networking events out there. Some are free, some are paid. Right. But you got to get out there. you got to participate. you got to be seen. you got to share your expertise. They give you an opportunity to talk about what you're if you're a speaker, what your signature talk is, what kind of platforms you're looking for. And, and and they also have event promoters on there who share what their platforms are and what type of speakers they're looking for for their platforms. So you got to be seen. you got to get on summits, even if you're not a speaker on that summit, and be a contributor and be seen. And, I mean, I was able to build a, a multiple million dollar fulfillment company entirely off of relationships. 
Yeah. I mean, I wasn't doing proactive advertising and all that. It was all people I met at advance that became clients that became referral partners. And the company grew as a result of relationships. One of the books we talked about, Jennifer, the Mistakes Authors Make book. So we decided that we we're going to launch that book at a live event and try to drive it to a number one bestseller on Amazon at a live event. So it was either going to, we we're going to fall flat on our face and embarrass ourselves or it was going to succeed. Because of the relationships of people I knew in the industry, they were more than happy to step in and say, sure, we'll help you promote that launch or whatever. And, and we were able to drive it to number one on Amazon because of relationships. So relationships is what it's all about. Thank you so much. This is absolutely wonderful, wonderful, valuable information for anybody who happens to be listening. So definitely go check out Brett, check out his podcast, get to know this gentleman, and definitely get a copy of this book. Thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure, Jennifer. Thank you for inviting me. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe, like, follow, and share. And we always love reviews. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you, Visibility Pod, for all your services and management of our podcast.